It's a great tradition in the Eastern Catholic Church as an Easter dialogue. So the first person says, Christ is risen. Does anyone know the response? Christ is risen. Something, something right there. <laughs> truly, truly he is risen. So I say Christ is risen, you say truly is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Nice work. So, in the whole history of the church, there are a few characters as fascinating and kind of enigmatic and mysterious as St. Francis of Assisi. Like since the time of Christ, no one kind of visibly modeled his life after Christ's own life to quite a degree as, as Francis kind of radical poverty, his deep and simple wisdom, his love of creation, and his fiery preaching that got him kicked out of most of the towns he went into, have kind of captivated the church and, and kind of endured through the ages. And I, I don't think Easter is the time to kind of recount the life of St. Francis, but I do want to tell one story that I think is helpful to kind of contemplate the Easter mystery. So Francis, when he was kind of in the throes of a conversion as a, as a rich young man, was walking by the church of San Damiano and felt kind of moved by the Spirit to go in and, and pray there. The church had been abandoned and fallen into ruins. So he stepped inside to pray before the crucifix. And after a time praying, he experienced this great call from the Lord. From the actual lips of the crucifix, Christ said, Francis, go rebuild my house. As you see, it is being destroyed. It is falling into ruins. I think this is a miraculous story of Christ calling a, a particular disciple to a particular mission um, in a very obvious and overt way. But I don't necessarily want to focus in on the story itself, but what was going through Francis' heart as he walked into the church at San Damiano. There were three questions on Francis' heart when he walked into that church. And he kind of presented them to the Lord and then received that call. And the three questions were this. Who are you, Lord? Who am I? And what would you have me do? I think Francis knew that the questions needed to be in this order. That the first question must be, Who are you, Lord? The first question can't be, Who am I? Because we don't know who we are apart from the Lord. It's only in Christ that we even know our own identity. And it's only in knowing God that we come to know ourselves. And then... It's only in coming to know ourselves finally through him that we know our mission. So that must be the order of the questions. And I think with these three questions on our minds and hearts, let's dig into the scriptures today. So for three years, the disciples traveled with Jesus. They heard him preach, they watched him heal, do great miracles. And in that time, the apostles came to believe that he was the Messiah. They knew full well that he was the Messiah, that he was the one who came to save Israel. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Peter confessed, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yet what does that mean? Who is the Messiah and what has he come to do? What was his job here on earth? I think early in his ministry we can look to what Jesus says himself. When he enters the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, and he picks up the scroll of Isaiah and reads... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, and to open the prison of those who are bound. That's the mission of the Messiah when he comes. 
And immediately he proclaims that this prophecy has been fulfilled. Again, when John the Baptist, his cousin, sends messengers to him saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? He gives that same prophecy and then tells those disciples, Go and tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. So I think it's natural for the disciples to conclude from Jesus' own words and from his actions that he is the Messiah King that they expected and that he would free them from Roman oppression. That was the number one thing on their minds. Freedom from Roman oppression. And, and this and many, many other expectations, I think, made the shock of the crucifixion so much greater. The scandal of the cross. Still scandalized today by the cross. We should be. Yet, even as, uh, even as the disciples kind of contemplated this great horror of the cross, in their confusion and their anguish, we see the gospel today. Mary Magdalene comes and delivers the news that the tomb is empty. So all of this, the life, the words, the miracles, the death, and the empty tomb of Christ, make us ask this question anew. Who are you, Lord? And though I don't think we can ever plumb the depths of this mystery, we see that the Messiah who came is not just that some descendant of David who came to free Israel from Roman oppression. There are great rulers throughout all of history who have freed countries from oppression. But Jesus came to free the Jews and the Romans alike from the freedom, from the slavery and oppression that is sin and death. This much greater oppression. What a twist. I think for the disciples of the first century, it took a total shift of their mind to actually understand what Jesus had come to do. And it takes that same shift for us today. Jesus came as a man, as our brother, yet also as God himself, in order that we may take part in God's own life. I don't think we've at all exhausted the implications of the cross and resurrection, but I think we need to move on to the second question. Who am I? This is a question that we all ask. Who am I? I think we look to St. Paul to see who we are in today's second reading. He says, If you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ your life appears, then you too will appear with him in glory. So who are we? Paul's language is, is often beautiful but super confusing and we just don't know what he's actually trying to say. Let's dig in a little bit. I was, I, I'll just give you an anecdote to try to help explain this passage. I was talking to a young man the other day about just kind of generally the existence of God. And, and he kind of just made this interesting statement. He said, you know, I believe in God, but I'm not afraid of him. And what I mean by that is, uh, I'm cool with God and, and God's cool with me. You know, and, and doesn't he, isn't he just okay with me doing what I, what I like to do? You know, he wants me to be happy. And I don't think he's out to get me. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, I think you've summed up the attitude of an entire generation perfectly. Uh, every young person I know, he just summed it up perfectly. So it's kind of the, okay, God exists, but what does that have to do with me kind of life? But I would like to say that I think it's eminently reasonable, perfectly reasonable, in fact, to say that whether God exists or not, whether the Christian God exists or not, has everything to do with you. Everything to do with you. 
And that, and that that middle ground that God exists but I do what I want, it just isn't possible. By, by the very nature of the existence of God, it isn't possible. St. Thomas Aquinas said that if our life isn't entirely centered on God, then there are four other things that we can center it on. And that's wealth, pleasure, power, and honor. Wealth, pleasure, power, and honor. Those are the only four other options besides God. One of those four things will inevitably rule our lives. They will, in fact, become our God if we don't set our sights on Jesus Christ alone. If we die with Christ and rise with him, we find that our whole lives are wrapped up in him. So now I think we can move on to this final question. What would you have me do? It's the question that we all ask, kind of usually towards the end of high school, what am I going to do with my life? And I, one of my buddies and I used to call all of our kind of ministry activities in college, we would title them Vivete Unfractum. We were studying Latin, so we kind of liked Latin at the time, but it, it translates to live the revolution. Live the revolution. So why do we, why do we call them that? Because it's kind of vague. I think it's because we believe that the Christian life is truly a revelation. It's a revolution. If we turn and set our sights on Christ, we really do have to reconsider every single thing in our life. We can no longer live as our own masters. We're not the master of the universe. We're called to a mission that comes from beyond us and calls us beyond ourselves. So in the first reading, I think Peter perfectly sums up the kind of revolution of the Christian life. He says, This man God raised on the third day, and we ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. The disciples ate and drank with Jesus after his resurrection. He said he commissioned us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. As Christians, we believe that this really happened, that Christ did die and that he rose from the dead, and that we are sent as disciples to give this great gospel to the whole world. To be a Christian is to be a missionary. There's no middle ground. You can't just be a quiet Christian. We either live in freedom as the sons and daughters of God, or we live as slaves to wealth and pleasure and power and honor. So choose life. Choose the life with Christ. I think this day, and for the whole of Easter, really take to heart these three questions that Francis asked. Who are you, Lord? Who am I? And what would you have me do? And ask them in that order. And don't be afraid, especially if you've been away from the church, I mean, we can all acknowledge that this church is more full today than it usually is. A lot of people are from out of town, but a lot aren't. Uh, so if you feel like you've lost your faith or you've just drifted for no particular reason, then ask these questions anew. Be honest with God and be bold. Take your real worries and, and all of your problems to him. I, I think you'll find that he's patiently waiting with a mission that only you can accomplish in this world. It's the mission for which you were created and, and the only mission for which you were created and, it's the, and you're the only one who can complete this mission in the kingdom of God. And it's the only thing that will ever bring you true joy. So, Christ is risen. That's pretty good.